place today. God, would you just move in our hearts? God, let, let the scripture come alive to us today and, and just let us all leave here encouraged and challenged. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul and the worship team. Appreciate it for leading us in song and worship. Now let's continue to worship as we look at God's word. If you don't know me, I'm Scott Mathis. I'm president of the Berean Fellowship of Churches. I travel around to a different Berean church uh, just about every weekend, inspiring and influencing God's people to pursue Christ's plan for their life, to help churches stay on mission of reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, not getting lost in the sea of uh, confusion in our world, but being ultimately focused that this church exists uh, to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Who are you? If I was to ask you that, who are you, what would you tell me? If I asked you, why do you exist, what would you tell me? Who are you at your core identity? If you asked me, I might say, well, I'm a cowboy. Or some of my cowboy friends would snicker and say, well, you're not much of one. Well, I'm a teacher, or I'm a preacher, or I'm a business person. Who are you at your core, though? I don't care what you do, and that might have some bearing on your internal identity, but honestly, who really are you? I believe that the reality of authentic Christianity allows Christ ones to figure out who they are and why they exist. The beauty of God revealing himself to mankind through his word, the Bible, allows you and I in a confused and convoluted world to be able to walk confidently in our inner core identity of who we are. This passage of scripture that we are going to, to interact with today was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison for serving, the God, for, for serving God. And as he wrote to these churches surrounding the old town of Ephesus, he described who they were when they came to that point in their life where they trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that message has transcended 2,000 years so that in Podunk, Torrington, Wyoming, at the fairgrounds, you and I can relearn or maybe learn for the first time who really am I if I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1, go through verses 10, 1 through 10. And I'll get done preaching in a couple hours and then go rope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I think we're going to have it on the screen. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved 
For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So much the reading of God's inerrant inspired word. Let's pray and then dive into these verses again and allow God, through his spirit and living word, to teach us who we really are. So God, we ask you to do a work through your word like only you can. I ask you in the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus to transcend the brokenness that's in this room. To transcend the hardness of heart that's in this room. To transcend the critical spirits that are in this room. To transcend the loneliness in this room. To transcend the false identities in sexuality, in material things. To transcend them in such a way that we walk out of this room confidently because we know that we are united with you, Jesus, and we know that our identity is not in the things of this world. So thank you, God, for your living word that you have supernaturally protected and allow us to read this morning and obey. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Back to verse 1 in our passage this morning. Once, at one time, you were dead. Now, you're like, well, yeah, but what does that really mean? I mean, we can feel fully alive and not be alive to God. We can be uh, enraptured by the creation that we live in. We can have interactions with people that we are, oh, we're Twitter-pated and we feel in love. We can have moments of really feeling fully alive. But Paul is meaning here that was when you and I have not trusted in Christ as our Savior, we are spiritually dead in our ability to relate to the living God of the universe. That's why if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is just kind of a joke to you. God is just kind of like, huh, some esoteric idea? And it's like, huh, but those of you who know God through faith in Jesus Christ, this passage is like, oh, thank you. Yeah, once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Paul says because of your disobedience and your many sins, the, the reality is, is if we're going to get, uh, understand our identity in Christ, we have to understand our identity before Christ. And before Christ, our identity was one that we were disobedient and we had many sins. Now, I know that's not a popular um, a message in today's world. Today's world says, you know, in our culture, oh, you're born good and you're just such a good person and your parents messed up and that's why you're messed up and the school system messed up too. And our culture that we live in, this capitalistic system, it just messes you up so you, you're, you're kind of just a victim. But the reality of authentic Christianity is we have to come to the point where we recognize we are disobedient sinners 
in need of a Savior. And if you are rebelling against that in your heart this morning, just know that God's going to win somehow, some way. And the sooner you say, yeah, I might do some good things, but even my motivation to do good things is still separated from you, God. And I am a disobedient sinner in need of a Savior. Paul says you used to live, verse 2, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The devil's real. He is this commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's this spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Somehow uh, we're born sinners and we're disobedient and somehow Satan uses this world system and the devil to, to, to kind of motivate us to be even better sinners. And we have to understand that our identity before Christ is one of being controlled by Satan the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way. There's no, none of us get to escape this, okay? You can't say, oh, well, that's for someone else. We all like to apply scripture and sermons to someone else. That's for someone else. No, the word here, all of us used to live that way. The Bible's clear that all of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. All of us are sinners. All of us are disobedient. All of us, until we're born again, uh, have this, this weird, uh, mysterious obedience to Satan and the, de Satan, the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And we followed these passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature here in the last sentence of verse 3, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. The message of authentic Christianity is that we are born in sin and we stay in sin until we become in Christ. And God's righteous wrath for sin, God can't violate his character like you and I do. We say, I'm going to tell the truth. Remember, I made that vow before I was a Christian, I'm going to tell the truth. And then I got stopped by a cop for speeding. I violated my character fairly quickly. Well, I got the diarrhea. I got to get home. Lied to him. We violate our character all the time. God can't. God is perfectly holy. He can't say, oh, <laughs> I'll weaken for you and excuse your sin. He can't do that. It's impossible for God to violate his character. Sin had to have a payment. And, 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 and my friends, you and I need to recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And we, we are subject to God's anger. Jesus said it this way in John 3.36, Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's wrath. God's not mean or vindictive. He just can't violate his character. And if you are staying in your disobedience and sin, he can't grade on a curve. He, you and I have to come to be like, oh, I need someone else to pay my sin debt because I can't. It is impossible for me to do that. I'm so grateful. Now, what happens if I would just quit preaching right now? I know some of you would be grateful for that, but reality is, what would happen with that? That we'd all be pretty depressed after these verses, right? 
I'm disobedient, I'm kind of a product of Satan in this world. Boy, let's just walk out of here and beat on ourselves, right? But verse 4 is still in the Bible. But God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. God can't violate his character. He can't excuse your sin, but he loves you. Every one of you. You might not feel loved. You might not have, have been rejected by human beings or an ex-spouse. But I want you to know that God loves you. And he is rich in mercy. He loved you so much that he didn't say, eh, you're under my righteous wrath, too bad, so sad. No, God loved you so much that he gives you mercy found in his only son. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, verse 5, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. When you and I come to that place in our life, whether we're 4 or 40, and we turn from sin and Satan and society and our sinful nature, and we turn to the Savior Jesus and are born again by faith alone in him, God transfers and takes our, the wrath, his righteous wrath off of us and we become united with Christ. He doesn't look us at us as disobedient sinners anymore. He looks at us through the perfection of his Son. How awesome is that? Your identity is not a disobedient sinner. Your, your identity is not what an ex-spouse has said. Your identity is not what some model who's a size two says you are. You, my friends, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, have a whole new identity, your core identity. And it is only, Paul says here in the end of verse 5, by God's grace that you have been saved. Is, is this amazing free gift. Salvation is never earned. Every other world religion and belief system in, in, in the world says basically the same thing. you got to follow a bunch of rules, and then maybe, maybe you'll make it. But true, authentic Christianity is that God gives his salvation away. It's free. It's a gift. It's grace, and that is amazing. Verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Friends, when Christ died, spiritually speaking, you died with him. Your old nature is put in the tomb. And when Christ raised from the dead, God raised you spiritually. You are alive to Christ. You are dead to sin, but alive to Christ. And we need to reckon that in our minds. And I'm quoting from Romans 6, 11. He raised you and I from the dead. He resurrected us to be alive, fully alive. Christians are the most fully alive people on the planet because we are right with a holy God. We have to learn who we are in our core identity so that we can live out people as seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. Now our feet still are here on this wicked old earth, and we still have to live here, but spiritually we are seated in these heavenly realms with Christ, and so we can have an eternal perspective. 
our identity as Christ ones that have received this free gift of salvation through grace can, can, can mean in a very practical level, oh, I don't have to make my spouse pay for what they do wrong. I don't have to carry grudges at work. I don't have to, because grace is not just the way to life in Christ, it's the way of life in, in, in the very fabric of our being, of, of, of this mercy and grace we have received with Christ. It gets real practical in our everyday life. Why do I have to be critical of the neighbors who drive too fast past our mailbox? If I have seated in the heavenlies with Christ, why do I have to get my shorts in a wad about some of these things that happen? when I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Too many Christians right now are so earthbound that they forget that they're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Imagine a church that's filled with people who understand their core identity is one as being completely forgiven in Christ and it's this free gift of grace that allows that to happen and so consequently I am fully alive and I have an eternal perspective and I don't have to go around being uh, uh, constantly offended by everyone and everything. I can live above. I'm seated in the heavenlies. I don't have to prove myself to anyone because I'm approved in Christ. Do you see how this changes things? It's awesome to be a Christian. Now, admittedly, we're all in process of this too, of understanding, right? We, we are, we are, it's a declaration of who we really are, but our, it takes a long time for us to process and accept who we really are in our core identity with Christ, united with Him. God looks at you as united with Christ. Verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united, there's that word again, united with Christ Jesus. Somehow, here in this verse 7, we see that God somehow uses us, points to us, as examples of how awesome he is. Now, you and I, when we, and, and it's hard to be a Christian sometimes, isn't it? It's hard in Torrington, Wyoming to be a Christian and part of a local church. Because everybody knows everybody. And everybody remembers who got mad. And it's just hard at times. And sometimes you look at your own life and you look at the lives of other people and you're like, whew. Yeah, that preacher can talk about united with Christ, but man, they dang sure don't seem like they're very united with Christ with their attitude and how they do things. But somehow, my friends, God points to you and me. And the beauty of my position now, I travel to a different church every weekend, and the beauty of my position is, is I just get to come in and preach, and then I get to leave. And everybody seems more godly until you get to know them. So I just come around and I, no, I'm, just, I'm telling you the body of Christ is beautiful. Oh, friends, love your church. Yeah, everybody's messed up as a wooden watch. And every church is messed up as a wooden watch. But friends, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus loves his church and you need to love your church. 
and, 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 and the common grace that we have in Christ Jesus allows, the, the thing about grace is it changes our core identity and it changes our perspective of, of other people. It changes our perspective on the church. It allows us not to be just critical, mean-spirited people. It allows us to be this body of Christ. And God is using you and me. And he's showing us off somehow. In verse 7, he points to us. In all these future ages, he's going to point. And that church people, they were amazing. He talks more about this in chapter 3. Read it this afternoon. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Have you believed? I don't care what your mommy said you did at eight years old. But have you personally believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received the free gift of salvation? You're nervous right now while I'm saying those words. Maybe it's because you're not right with the holy God. And you need to turn and believe in Jesus right now. But my friends, God saved you by this incredible grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't. It is a gift from God. People who, who take credit for their salvation end up as really lonely, addicted, angry people. There is this direct correlation to a lack of understanding of the free gift of, of salvation and freedom in Christ. Like if I could get you all alone and say you have to tell me the truth today before you leave this and I would say what right do you have to go to heaven? What would you tell me? Would you begin to give me a list? Well, I, I think my good outweighs my bad. Well, would you point to some religious ritual? that you did? Would you point to some church? Or like a team roper told me when I asked him that question once, he's like, well, I know you, preacher man. I'm like, that ain't going to get you to heaven, knowing me. Who or what would you point to? Or would you say, I am saved only because of what Jesus did for me? And it was a free gift. And any time we begin to think that we can, uh, that we're, we somehow played a part in our salvation, friends, we have done all the sinning, and Jesus Christ has done all the saving. And you and I need to internalize that in our core identity because it changes. It changes our marriages. It changes how we relate at work. It changes how we run our finances. It changes uh, our sexuality. It changes everything. The commonality of the amazing grace of God found in Jesus Christ and salvation being free, this gift from God means that we don't take credit for our salvation in any way, shape, or form. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Who or what are you pointing to for your salvation? Something you do? Or someone has done to you, or Jesus Christ. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I kind of get this dissonance going on in my mind. My mind scrambles. 
<laughs> we are God's masterpiece? Huh? I ain't no masterpiece. Yes, you and I are. The free gift of Jesus Christ in our united uh, uh, reality with him means that you and I are the masterpiece of God, collectively and individually. You are a masterpiece. Some of you are rebelling against that right now. No. Who's your authority? This word from God? The revealed word of God? Or your own insecurity? This world that has defined you in some way? Or God defining you in Christ? You're a masterpiece. I have a friend, a young friend. Uh, she's an artist up in uh, the Sandhills of Nebraska, and she is an unbelievable artist, Rachel Brownlee. She posts on Facebook some of the, the uh, progressions of her paintings. And when she posts kind of the beginning of the painting, I'm like, huh? Really? And then you watch the pictures, and as they progress, it's amazing. And it turns up to be a masterpiece. And friends, God is painting a picture with you. Individually in your own unique life dynamics, but also collectively as Sunrise Church. God is painting a masterpiece. He uses you and all your faults and failures and weaknesses by his grace somehow. He paints beautiful pictures with you. You are a masterpiece. Not in some humanistic, uh, pump-yourself-up way, but in a spirit-infused reality that it's all about Christ. I've done all the sinning. Christ has done all the saving. And so confidently then I can, because I'm united with Christ, I am a masterpiece, and God has a plan for my life. Look with me here at verse 10. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so so, keyword, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has a plan and a purpose for every one of your life. He has plans for you. He planned things for you long ago. And you can discover them as you live in authentic Christian community in a local church and stay in the word and prayer. God will reveal his unique masterpiece plan for your life. I'm grateful for a masterpiece of God. Her name was Myra Welsh. She was born in the very late 1800s. Myra was born with a song in her heart. She came to Christ young. From a young age, she wrote poems and songs for God. She was just one of those people that bubbled over with God. She got married, had some kids. And then... All of a sudden, she began to hurt. And all of a sudden, her body began to turn against itself. And what we know, now know as rheumatoid arthritis began to turn her inward and twist her joints. And the pain was incredible in Myra's life. And she couldn't even write anymore for God. But Myra was a masterpiece. And Myra figured out that if she got a manual typewriter... And if she took two pencils and inverted them so the, the, the eraser side was down, 
Myra could tap out on the typewriter songs and poems for God. Myra said it this way, the arthritis pain was so much pain, but the joy of writing outweighed the pain of my effort. And Myra wrote a poem that many of you are familiar with called The Old Violin or The Touch of the Master's Hand about this estate sale. You know estate sales where you sell a bunch of stuff, many of it, much of it junk. And on this estate sale was this junky old violin that came up for sale. And Myra wrote this poem. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people? He cried, who starts the bedding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. Far from the room came a gray-bearded man. He came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, now what am I bid for this old violin, as he held it aloft with his bow? A one thousand? A one thousand? Do I hear two? Two thousand? Who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them said, we just don't understand. What changed its worth? And swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone, but the master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. I have been on my knees praying this week that not one person gathered last night, the 60 or 70 down at the Main Street building and the people gathered here or watching online, that not one of you would resist the move of God in your life that you are a masterpiece and that he can pick you up and dust you off and tune you up and play beautiful music through your life. Goshen County, Wyoming is desperate for a healthy, life-giving church that is united in spirit and intent on one purpose, to bring glory to Christ by seeing lost people come to faith in Jesus and accept the free gift and become the people that Jesus created them to be. How are you going to respond to the message of God found in Ephesians chapter 2? Or this poem today? How are you going to respond? Stiff-arming God? Shrugging your shoulders? It probably works for someone else, but I've tried it. It doesn't work for me. How are you going to respond? I would encourage you 
by the power of the Holy Spirit to say yes to God. To surrender to His way and will and allow Him to pick you up, clean you up, tune you up, and use you as a masterpiece. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night before He was betrayed, instituted a simple ceremony so that we people who have been born again by the Spirit can do something physical in order to re-remind us of what our Lord Jesus did for us. He took some bread and some wine and in these very simple elements used them as a physical reminder of the spiritual reality that our salvation is free, that Christ took our place, and that his body and blood somehow were the ultimate perfect payment for your sin and mine. We call it communion, or our common union in Christ. We call it the Lord's Supper, where we remember, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We read in Scripture that we are to examine our hearts before we partake and repent of any known sin. And I believe the message of Scripture is a, a, a one of repentance before taking, but it also is one of rejoicing then. In the crazy grace that saves you and I, sinners all, disobedient all, Satan's minions all, but now united with Christ. New masterpieces in him. Made new. A celebration of uh, the, 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 the holy reality that the world might say I'm one thing, but Jesus, I'm being defined by you and my core identity is in you and not me or what this world says I am. So, spend some time repenting. But then, physically get up, come, take some bread and juice, and rejoice in the reality of your new identity in Christ. It's wonderful to be a Christ one. Jesus, thank you for your body that was beaten beyond recognition, People were even repulsed to look at you. Thank you, Jesus, for the scourging you took multiple times. Jesus, thank you for the nails through your hands and feet. Jesus, thank you for the crown of thorns on your head. Thank you for the ripping of the flesh as you stood up to try to get more breath. Thank you, Jesus, that somehow your blood in this majestic and mysterious way somehow still comes down from that cross and instead of staining us, washes us whiter than snow. We don't fully understand or completely grasp, but we don't demand full understanding. We accept your grace today for this day and we accept the reality that we are a masterpiece in you, and only because of you, not anything of us, we can't brag, 
And so our bragging is of you and our worship is of you. And so we come repentant and rejoicing today, remembering again that it's all about you, Christ. In your precious name I pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. You're welcome to come forward as the Holy Spirit would lead. sing these words how great the chasm how great the chasm that laid between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name 
into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living Lord. Just after that verse, we should be clapping, right? <laughs> so much awesome truth in that. But we have more to sing, guys. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory where my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own the work is savior I'm yours forever, oh Jesus Christ, my living hope, oh hallelujah, praise the one who sets me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the side. church then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on thee Jesus yours the victory oh hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my Christ, my living hope, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. What a great morning. 
Let's go from here. Let's continue to worship through the week. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.